How y'all doing? Good, good. Well, uh, I get to continue on this series, Messy Faith, looking at just the, this this journey that we're all on, this journey of pursuing Jesus, and we're looking really through the life of of Abraham and seeing how this individual, how him and Sarah both, his wife both, became people of faith, this, this journey they were on. And I was just thinking about this concept of journeys and, and destinations, and I was reminded of a story of a, a journey that Becca, my wife, and I once took. We had this goal, this destination in mind. Our goal was to see Crater Lake, right? My parents live up in Oregon. Her parents live up in Oregon. So we find ourselves driving north often, not too far from Crater Lake, one of the you know, wonders of the world, but we had never actually seen Crater Lake. So several years ago, we decide we're going to make the detour, and uh, it was Christmas time. So after Christmas, we, we head over into Eastern Oregon from my parents' house, and within like probably 30 miles, or at least 50 miles, we get to snow, right? You got to go over a pass, and so we put chains on, and and we get over the pass, and our hope is by the time we get over the other side, we'll be able to take our chains off. And, but sure enough, we get into eastern Oregon, and it's still snowing, and so we got to keep our chains on. And for 200 miles, I looked it up in Google Maps to see if it really was as far as I remember it being. For 200 miles, we're driving with our chains on going down the highway. And like every about 20, 30, 50 miles or whatever, one of the cables would break and you'd hear it starting to slap the wheel well, like, you know, and you got to get out and like cut it off or tie it up. And it just, it felt like it would never end. We're just driving and driving and driving. Finally, we get down to Klamath Falls and that's where you kind of turn back up to go up the highway, specifically up to Crater Lake. And and now it's really starting to snow, and the snow banks are building up higher and higher on either side of the road. But we're determined we're going to make it to this destination. And at some point, we get behind this snow plow. And if you've ever been by a kind of snow plow, it's not a lot of fun, right? They're kicking up all the rock, and they're slow. And, and I go, come on, babe, I'm going to pass this guy. She says, no, don't pass him. Just sit tight. We'll get there. Come on, honey, let me pass this guy. This is, this is too... So finally, I, I go, I'm passing him. So I, I, I get around him, and I start going. And right as I kind of pass this snowplow, I look, and I see the turnoff to kind of go up the driveway to Crater Lake. So I, I do the logical thing. I turn my wheel sharply to just turn myself up that driveway. And we're on snow, and my car doesn't turn. And I just slowly and gracefully just plow right into the snowbank, right, on the other side of the road, just and. The whole, like all you see, it just goes white, everything. And, and we're buried into snow up over our windshield. We had to, to crawl out the back seat. My wife is eight months pregnant at the time, so uh, she's not super agile. And we got to crawl over the back seat, and we kind of get out, and the snow plow just passes us and waves at us. <laughs> and I got to dig our car out, and I'm frustrated, and I'm kicking the dog, and, you know, it's just... It's, and here we are. I finally get the car unburied, and we get it unstuck. And at this point, we're about a mile from Crater Lake. And we both look at each other. It's starting to get dark. We're like, forget it. Let's go home. So we get back in the car, and we, we leave. And it took us three years before I worked up the courage to try it again, right? 
And three years later, the sun was out. It was still snowy, but the sun was out. There was no snow on the roads. We drove up to Crater Lake, and we saw that big hole in the ground with water in it, and uh, we were victorious. Now, you could, I could have told that story. I could have retold it and said, Beck and I decided to go to Crater Lake, and we did. And technically, that would be an accurate statement, right? That, that we decided to do it, and eventually we made it there, but it wouldn't tell the full story of the journey. And yet there's this, this line in the book of Hebrews, where the book of Hebrews, the author is talking about these, these people of faith, these great people of faith, and it recounts the story of Abraham and, and his journey. And it says this, in Hebrews chapter 11, 8 and 9, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to the place where he was received as an inheritance, that he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob and their heirs with him of the same promise. Now, if you read that, you could come up with the idea that it was just this super simple, clean journey that Abraham went on, right? God told him by faith, he did it in the story. But when we read through the story in the book of Genesis, we see a much messier journey, a journey I think most of us can relate to. We all know what it's like to, to feel like we hear the voice of God, or, or many of us have felt like we hear God's guiding, God's direction in our life, and yet it's really hard, right? Right? And we start down that journey and we get disrupted and things get messy and things are difficult and it doesn't go exactly according to plan. And that is exactly what happens here in Abram's life. So let me give you kind of a a bit of a a recap of where kind of we're at. So Abram is born in the city of Ur, which is kind of northern Iraq area. And um, kind of as a young man, he grows up there. He, at some point, meets Sarai. They get married. He's got this nephew named Lot. He gets married around the same time. And at some point, Abram's dad, Lot's grandfather, says, hey, guys, let's go travel to a different city, and and let's go to, um, uh, what's the name of it, Uh, Haran, and and let's set up there. So they move to Haran, and Haran's kind of in modern-day Turkey. It was this kind of crossroads of trade routes, kind of a bustling city. And they go to work there. This is what it tells us in, in Genesis chapter 11. And it's in this place that God calls Abraham to this new journey, to Abram. God says, Abram, here's the deal. And this is what we read last week, right? He says, I'm going to bless you. And through me blessing you, you are going to be a blessing to the nations. And I'm going to take you to this promised land. I'm going to give it to you as an inheritance. I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham obeys God. And he leaves. What an incredible thing that is. That Here he is. He's already an immigrant to this land. He now has to leave kind of any hopes, really, of going back to Ur, going back to his family. He's lived in this community for a while, we can imagine. He's probably learned some of the local language. He's probably figured out his, he's got a business at this time. He's people that work for him and, and livestock and all this stuff that he's kind of worked out. And they together, they, they begin to travel south. And as he travels south, at some point in his journey, um, he gets to this place 
And God says, okay, this is the promised land. This is what I have promised you. And he gets it. He builds like this little altar to remember that this is the place that God has promised me. But there was all these kind of Canaanite folks living in the land. And they were kind of this hostile, nomadic community that was living there. And so for whatever reason, Abraham looks at this land and goes, okay, this is the land God has promised me, but I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going. So he goes further down south and he gets up to this kind of this valley. And he sets up tents and kind of camps there for a little bit. And then again, a little bit further, he travels on and he gets to this place called Negev, which in the the language meant the dry place. And and at this point, I got to imagine folks are starting to talk, right? You can kind of hear the conversations coming through the tents. Go, what are we doing? We had a pretty good thing going on back up north. Why are we down here? Are you sure that he heard the voice of God? Maybe he's a little bit confused. This is... This is hard. These are dry places. This is challenging. I don't like it here. I want to go back. And and I'm sure he was asking that same question of himself. I'm sure the stress and the challenges were starting to stack up. And at this point, his, his faith begins to get shaky. It begins to be challenged. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you you felt like you heard the voice of God, the direction of God, whatever that looks like for you in your life. And, and yet once you set out on that journey, once you start out in obedience of it, it gets a lot harder than you think it's going to be. I remember when Beck and I moved down here, uh, my last Sunday in our last church, I was preaching with a couple of the other pastors. And I remember in that sermon, I used as an illustration how God was calling us down to Fremont, calling us down to California, so much so that that our bank account had the exact amount of money we needed to move down here. And just how awesome of providence that was from God that he was calling us here. So we moved down here. Beck and I had been married less than nine. We'd been married like nine months, less than a year. And we're fighting all the time because that's what newlyweds do, right? It's not the honeymoon I was expecting, right? So we're fighting. We're in this foreign place. We're away from our friends and our family. We don't, uh, everything's way more expensive than we're used to. And I remember we walked across the street one evening to the Blockbuster video store. Remember those? Yeah. Um, and, and we walked across the street and I was used to spending about $2 for a movie without tax, right? And I remember we go in there and um, I get up to the cash register and the, the lady goes, okay, that'll be $4 plus tax. I remember just being like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And, and we walk out, and I lost it. I'm like yelling at Becca. She's like, why are you screaming? I'm like, I hate California. This place is awful. Everything is most, so expensive. Why are we here? What are we doing in this place? Why don't we just go home? And, and I can feel that tension that Abraham must be feeling at this point, that Sarah must be feeling, that everybody must be feeling. And in that moment, Abraham does something awful. And and the more I read this passage, the more I'm convinced of that, that what we see here is ugly. Verse 10 says that there was a famine in the land, the promised land, the land that God had promised him. So he decides that he's going to leave that promised land And go down to Egypt, and things take an ugly turn. So let's go ahead and read that together, uh, starting in verse 10. Chapter 12, uh, Genesis 12, verse 10. 
says, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter, Jesus, to, to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, and they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that you may that it may go well with me because of you and that my life will be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into the Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And the Pharaoh gave the men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So here Abram is, he's about to head into Egypt, and he looks over at his wife, and he says, hey, you know what, Sarah, you are beautiful. She probably said, oh, that's sweet, Abram, you're beautiful too. And he goes, no, 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 you're beautiful, like you're hot, you're, you are, you're sexy, and we're going to go to Egypt, and the Pharaoh there is really into beautiful women, that's kind of his thing. So let's do this. Let's pretend like you're my sister, and then everything will go well, and it'll be, it'll be good. It's, it's not a big deal. Now, before we get into how ugly this decision is, I do want to just point out the fact that at this point in time, Sarah is 75 years old, all right? So that's impressive. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people that tell their spouse, like, hey, you're beautiful, but, like, not only did he say she was beautiful, like, the, the pharaoh of Egypt was like, she's beautiful, right? So, it, that side note, something to process. <laughs> um, but this is ugly, isn't it? I was trying to kind of put myself into this context to try to imagine what this was like. And I was just thinking, like, I could imagine walking with my wife. Uh, you know, we're out late at night, and we go by a bar, and there's a couple of dudes out in the bar. And they're like, hey, what's up, beautiful? And they're not talking to me, obviously, right? And, and they're like, what are you doing with that loser? Why don't you leave that loser? Come home with us. Come on. The guy's a punk or whatever. And I, I start to get a little scared. Go, oh, those guys are kind of big. They could take me. Turn to Becca. Go, hey, babe, what do you think? Maybe you should just go home with those guys. <laughs> not a bad idea, you know? I mean, then I won't get beat up. Everything will be good. <laughs> right? If I said that to my wife, my wife would say, no, you go home with those guys. I ain't going home with them. I ain't going home with you either, though. So, Yet Sarah doesn't have that option. That's not in their culture. She wouldn't have been able to say that. And he takes his wife and he betrays her in such an ugly way, such an offensive way. That, that, and it all comes back to the fact that he's completely given up trust for what God has done. He's already gone from the place where God has said, this is the promised land that I've called you to. And he says, yeah, it just looks like it's too much. And then he goes down and he goes, by the way, I want to make you a great nation. 
And he takes his wife and goes, well, maybe you should go live with that guy instead because that, that will go better for me. That will be easier for us all. And, and it just made me realize that that is my story in a way. I've never done this to my wife, but I've hurt my wife. I've hurt many people in so many different ways. I've, I've heard the plan and the will of God for my life, and I've chosen other things. It seemed too hard or too difficult, so I've gone another way. And as we look at this idea of messy faith, as we look at the example of Abram, I think there's a lot we can learn through his failure. There's a lot we can learn from his brokenness and how we too are broken and and ultimately how we worship a God who is not broken, who is whole, who is a rescuer, who is sovereign over all things. So let's kind of look through what lessons can we pull out of this story? What can we learn from him? And, And the first thing I see here is that our perspective is limited, but God's is not. That our perspective is short-sighted, it's limited, yet God looks at things and he's not overwhelmed. He's not stumbling on the same stuff that trips us up, right? So Abram, all he sees is challenges and obstacles in front of him. He gets to the promised land. He goes, oh, I couldn't possibly stay here. Look at those people. They're scary. He has a family. He goes, I couldn't possibly feed my family and everybody here. There's not enough food. There's not enough water. He gets down there to Egypt and he goes, I couldn't possibly stay with my life and and be faithful to her and make this great nation God has called us to. I need to sell her out. I need to pimp her out to the Pharaoh. And, And over and over again, all he sees is these limitations, these failures, these challenges that are right in front of him. And I think oftentimes those come out because we want to avoid pain, right? We want to avoid any sort of suffering in our life. And yet throughout Scripture, we see that God takes people through suffering. He takes them through faith because God's chief goal is not to make us comfortable. It's not to make us content and feel good. God's chief goal is to shape us into the men and women he's called us to be. And this is a prime example of that, that God is shaping Abram and Abram is trying to figure out his own way. And Abram's trying to figure out, okay, if I step over here, I can get around this situation. If I step over here, I can get around this situation. And I know that I do the same thing in my life. That there are times that I know what God is calling me to, and yet I choose to do something different because it just doesn't seem like God, God must not understand all the challenges I'm facing in doing that. I mean, look at something as simple as, I think most of us here would agree that God is calling us to love our neighbor as ourself, right? I think a lot of us could agree on that. Yet, when it comes down to it, how easy it is for me to go, yeah, but God must not know my neighbor. <laughs> that dude threw a cigarette butt over my fence and caught my bush on fire last week. God, God could not imagine that I'm loving that punk. Yet, my vision is so limited that I can just see that person as a jerk, see that person as a challenge. Yet through the vision of God, God sees that person as his child, loved by him, cared by him, and desires me to go through that challenge of learning to love and care for that person. Or, or something like the, the call for us to be compassionate, for us to be generous, for us to be loving, and to care for the least of these. Sometimes I think we can look at that command for our life and we go, yeah, but that was written like 2,000 years ago when societies were smaller and the problems were easier. That couldn't possibly be true for modern-day America. The problems are too big. They're too challenging. God couldn't really expect me 
to try to figure out how to make a difference and be generous in this context. And we start doing that, and I know for myself, what happens is when I start seeing things through my own perspective, I begin to play like this kind of moral gymnastics, right? I kind of twist things up to make it fit into how I think it should, to go, okay, well, God must have really meant that I do it this way and then this way and this way, right, to kind of navigate around things. And I think that's what Abram does here. He has twisted morality, he has twisted what is right to where he actually says to Sarah, it's here in the text, he says, hey, why don't you pretend like you're my sister so that it goes well with me for your sake? How is that for her sake? What benefit could that have possibly been for her? Now, I understand in that context, the role of the husband in a family was really important, that they had this really important role of being a protector and a provider for the family. But how the heck was Abram supposed to do that when he sold his wife out to the harem of the king? Right? How was he going to provide for her? He obviously couldn't do that. How was he going to protect her when the very thing that he needed to protect her from, he just failed at? He just intentionally overlooked. Yet, in his mind, in some way, he has twisted that to the point of saying that let's do this for you. And yet, I have never done this specific thing. But how often have I justified my actions, the way I've treated somebody, the way I've used somebody, the way I've thought about somebody as something that's good for us all? Because I've just looked at things from my perspective and not through the perspective of God. And it comes back to the problem is my perspective is always selfish, right? That, that when I just start seeing through things through my eyes, this selfishness grabs hold of my life. And this story, this passage reminds us that our selfishness runs against the plan of God. That the problem in this passage is that Abram did not see what God was calling him to. Instead, he chose to pick a more selfish route for himself. And we see that. We see the ugliness of that. We see the brokenness of selfishness in this story. And yet we also know we're all really good at being selfish, right? This is something that we are born learning how to do. The second a baby comes out of the womb, they have mastered the art of selfishness. My child, my baby, never once said, hey, Dad, I would like a diaper change, but I know you're busy right now, so when you get some time, do you mind? Or, hey, Mom, uh, whenever you're ready to wake up, just let me know because I'm kind of hungry, so after your alarm goes off, you brush your teeth, you got all ready, then maybe we could eat. Never. You got to teach kids that, right? You got to go, hey, be nice, think about other people, you got to share your toys. Got to teach us to be not selfish, yet the very thing that, that protects us as babies is the thing that keeps us from experiencing obedience and following in the plan of God. When I start looking at myself, when I start looking at my own interests, my own desires, it, it, it's totally contrary to what God is calling us to. Look at the model we have in Jesus. The model we have in Jesus is a model of selflessness. That at no point in Jesus' ministry did he choose to be selfish? In fact, it says, he says, uh, he says, I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but in order to serve. And had he not have done that, our world would be completely different. Had he have said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm down with this cross thing. That sounds like a lot of pain. 
I'm going to opt for something different. Maybe we can just get a good, you know, time out. That's all I'm good for. Or, but yet he chooses selflessness and calls us to follow him in that. And I, and I think at, at looking through that lens, it can be a great lens for understanding even the will of God. Because it's difficult to, to kind of hear the plan and will of God, right? There are some times that are really easy. You know, you can read, there's commandments in the Bible that are super clear, super straightforward. Things like we talked about earlier. Love your neighbors yourself. Don't kill folks. Don't commit adultery, right? We can kind of go, okay, that's the plan of God. But, but how about those more difficult things? How about, how do I respond in a situation where I'm being challenged at work? Or how do I share my faith with my neighbors? Or, or these times where we really have to listen to the plan and the will of God. We're searching scripture. We're getting input from our friends, from our family. How do we know when God is speaking to us? And I think one of the most important filters we can look at is, okay, where is my selfishness here? Do I, am I really listening for the plan of God? Or am I just trying to navigate what I want? Am I just trying to fix things for my way to do things the way I feel like are right and the way I think makes sense? And the the sad thing about this passage is we see the ugliness of the consequence of our selfishness, right? And in fact, the the writer of this passage doesn't even fully outline uh, the consequences of what happened here. Right? It's not the point of the passage. The point actually is to tell us about the greatness of God. So it doesn't go through all the explanation of how it must have destroyed Sarah. I can't even fathom the pain and the challenge she went through because of this. I would imagine for years and years to come, she sat around the campfire with her friends and went, wow, that was awful. I can't fathom what this must have done to, to their marriage, to their relationship. How are they supposed to regain any sense of intimacy and love and, and trust with each other on this? Even in Pharaoh's life, there's wreckage and shrapnel that, that even affects the Pharaoh. Pharaoh comes back to Abram. He goes, Abram, why did you do this to me? Why did you tell me that she was your sister? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Like, this must have affected him negatively as well. And we see that, that, that in our selfishness, the effects spread wide, huh? It hurts other people. It's not just that we don't get to experience all of what God has planned for us. It's that we can hurt other people along the way. But as I was kind of processing this story, I think what stood out to me the most is just this idea that, that even in our brokenness, even in our messiness, even in our broken journey of learning to trust God, that God can still make masterpieces out of our messy faith. And that's what God does here. God takes this ugly, horrific situation, and he rescues Sarai out of this situation. He actually takes them back to the promised land, the place that they were supposed to be from the get-go, and ends up giving them material goods to go with them on their journey. And when I first processed this, I think we all look at this going, how is that fair? Why is that right? And it just made me go back to the thing we talked about last week, right? Pastor Ron did just this great job of explaining that God promised to bless Abraham, and then Abraham obeyed, not the other way around. It wasn't that God 
oh, uh, that Abram obeyed God and so God blessed him. And sometimes I think we like to think of faith that way, that if I do good things, then God will bless me. That if I'm this way or that way, then I'll get the blessings of God. And what we see here is that God blessed Abraham, not because Abraham was a good person, not because Abraham was even a person of faith, because in this moment he wasn't, but because God was proving something else, that God wanted to show his love and his compassion and his ability to care for his people, that God had this plan for Abram to establish him in the promised land to show the world what a relationship between God and humanity could look like. And so in this, we see that God can and does use even our broken stories, even our ugliness, even the the failures in our life. And and so I think as we we kind of go on this journey, as we talk about our messy faith, I think it's really a great reminder for us that that we're not talking about this messy faith because God um, needs us to have faith in him. Right? God isn't sitting up in heaven going, oh, I sure hope they'll have faith in me because that's what I need for myself to feel whole. No, God doesn't need us for that. God doesn't need our faith to accomplish his plan. God doesn't need our faith to bring some sort of completeness to the cosmic universe that we need God and we need faith in God because we need and long to be a part of his plan. We long to, to follow him, that we long to, to live a life that is in relationship with him, a life that, that seeks to, to fight against our selfishness, to pursue glorifying him, to pursue loving other people, a, a path that we can't always see the clear picture for, a path that is challenging for us, a path that is confusing, yet it, it is in that that we find our purpose, that we find our meaning. And, and so as we kind of, um, kind of wrap it up, I want to give us kind of some thoughts to to think about today. The, the first question is, what are God's promises and call for your life? So sometimes I think when we think of God's promises or God's call for our life, we just think of these super specific things. Okay, what job am I supposed to take or what exactly am I supposed to do? And sometimes that, that can be helpful. But, but I think more generally, what is it God is calling you to do, to be? What is it that he's calling out in your life? What kind of actions are you supposed to have? What kind of person are you supposed to be? What kind of father or mother or friend or grandkid are you supposed to be? What does that look like? And I encourage you to try to be, um, to, to really wrestle with this question. Okay, God, what is it you're calling in my life? And then I think the second question for me that, that is maybe as important as that is, what um, or how am I gonna trust him even when I don't want to? So, for example, I know God has called me to love my two daughters. Um, but, and I also know what's keeping me from doing that is my own selfishness, my anger, them not doing things the way I want them to do, my tiredness, my exhaustion. So, for me, maybe a practical example of this is how specifically this week am I going to trust God and love those girls the way that they deserve to be loved, the way that God has called me to love them. And what actions is that going to take? So maybe as we kind of wrestle with these two questions, the next song um, we're going to sing is a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it's a, a powerful song. It's a song of really us committing our trust, saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, you know, turning back no matter how hard it gets. And so as we process these questions, maybe let that song kind of, Speak out your commitment 
to these areas this week. Let me pray for us. God, we um, are broken people. I'm a broken person, and yet I see your faithfulness. I see that you are calling us to a life that is beyond what we see for ourselves, that is beyond what maybe we even desire for ourselves. So I pray that um, you teach us, you teach me to, to love you, to be more obedient and faithful to you. I pray that um, my messy faith finds its destination in you over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.